So, you've been told Happy Father's Day. We're holding space, regardless of what your experience of your earthly father has been. And now, and now it's my opportunity to, to talk to you about what it means to be a legacy maker, to be someone who, who makes a difference with your life. And I know that on Father's Day, uh, the temptation is for speakers and preachers like myself to, to, to really challenge the men, all right? Guys, this is, this is your day. We're going to challenge you. But I have to tell you something, guys. I, I, I think that the ladies need to join us in this one. Because ladies, I think you make a huge legacy as well. So today, whether you're male or female, I, I want you to know that, that what I'm inviting you into is an opportunity to see how your life can make a difference by seeing how someone else's life made a difference. And, and the story we're going to explore comes out of this 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, where the writer is trying to describe to a group of people in the first century who Jesus was and the fact that Jesus is the greatest high priest and most of these people he's writing to had been raised Jewish and, and there was no one greater than the high priest in their world and, and the writer's saying, no, no, Jesus is the great high priest. And that they had been raised in a world where it was a, a lamb that was spotless and blameless that was offered once a year for the sins of all the people and, and the author's saying, no, no, listen, that, that lamb is good but Jesus is a better lamb. Jesus is the one who has once and for all time laid down his life so that all of us, regardless of where we're from, regardless of what's happened in our life, can now, can now find forgiveness, can now find wholeness, can now find healing and salvation in the name of Jesus. And as he's as he's going through all of these arguments building to this case, he gets to the 11th chapter and he, and he wants the people to understand that this isn't just a brand new thing. This is a thing that began at the beginning, literally in the book of Genesis. And Genesis means in the beginning. And he goes back there and he begins to talk about creation and how what we see that is visible was formed out of the invisible. And that it was by faith that our, our, our predecessors, our, our forefathers, our, our, the, the people who lived before us, that they were able by faith to embrace that. And then he starts going through this litany of people. Some people call it the Hall of Fame of Faith. And he talks about, about Cain and Abel, about how Abel, through faith, offered a better sacrifice to God than his brother Cain did. And then he talked about Enoch, who walked with God and was no more. And, and, and then, then he begins talking about a guy named Noah. And I'll be honest with you, as I've prepared for this week, I've, I've been a little antsy about talking to you about Noah, simply because everybody's talking about Noah. I mean, you've got an ark that's been recreated in Kentucky, of all places, all right? You, you, I mean, like, I've got family in Kentucky. I'm thinking to myself, if that ark really landed in Kentucky, we're in world hurt. I'll just tell you that right now, all right? And, and then, you know, there, there's, there's this sense in which there have been sitcoms made uh, about modern-day Noahs, all right? Um, there have been movies made. Uh, a few years ago, there, there was a full-length feature film made about the kind of, and, and it, it implied things that really are not in the biblical text. And sometimes when we talk about Noah, I mean, even comedians, okay? 
I mean, comedians have jokes about, you know, God saying to Noah, how long can you tread water, you know, kind of stuff. I mean, there's all kinds of, of cultural innuendo, cultural baggage packed onto this story. And yet the story itself is so, so important for understanding what it means to live by faith that I want us to go back this morning and pick up a part of the story that, that I've not seen recorded in all of the books and the movies and the sitcoms about it. It's the story of why God did what God did and why Noah responded the way Noah responded. Listen as I read for you from Genesis. The, the, the scripture text will be on the screen if you'd like to read along or if you've got your own Bible, you can turn to to Genesis chapter six. I'm gonna start reading at verse five. The Lord saw that the wickedness of humanity was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved the Lord to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out humanity whom I have created from the face of the land, humans and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. That phrase, Noah walked with God. That's that's a phrase we discovered in this process is translated from Hebrew to the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, and and somehow loses the, the measure sometimes in the way it's translated because it gets translated was that he pleased God. And when we think about someone pleasing God, we we think about someone who does everything right. Noah didn't do everything right. But Noah walked with God. And the invitation that that scripture gives to all of us through Jesus Christ and even prior to Jesus Christ, the invitation of God from the very beginning of creation is to walk with him. See, we often ask God to walk with us. We, we often say, hey God, come, come walk with me at my pace. Come walk with me in my world. But but what the scripture teaches us is that we are called to walk with God. And walking with God brings a whole different dynamic. But but that's just one part of why the story of Noah is so important. See, the other part is understanding the heart of God. Did you understand? Did you hear it as I read it? That's a powerful phrase. That God looked down at all humanity and all their thoughts and everything they did we're continually toward evil. Now, in some of our perceptions of God, then we look at him and say, oh, I guess God's mad. God's upset. These people aren't doing So God's gonna, no. Did you hear what it said? It said he was grieved. The heart of God was grieved. See, when you and I, when you and I break fellowship with God, when you and I, when you and I fail to be who God created us to be, the temptation is to think that, hey, God is angry with us and God is mad with us. But, but the fact of the matter is, it breaks God's heart. 
I, I never really understood that till I became a dad. Um, but your kids can do some things that'll break your heart as a parent. Now, some of them are, you know, some of them are things that you can heal up pretty quick. But, but some of you moms and dads in the room and online, you know the pain of children who have turned their back on you and your family. And some of you who are children in the room and online know the pain of being abused and abandoned by your parents. Or having a, a father or mother who's physically there but, but emotionally absent and, and there's no real connection going on. And, and, and what happens is when that kind of brokenness is going on, it, it's what, what the writer of the Genesis is talking about. That, that the evil, the brokenness, the sinfulness, it, it, it goes to the heart of life. And when it does, when it does, it makes God's heart break. When I was a kid growing up, uh, my father, when he would discipline us, would always say to my brothers and I, before any form of discipline that he gave us, boys, you need to know this is gonna hurt you more than it hurts me. Anybody else ever hear their parents say that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, my brother Kevin had the greatest answer for that I've ever heard in my life. Because my dad was about to get, now my dad never did anything in violence, he was never abusive, but, but he would give us and tell us, I'm gonna give you one swat, I'm gonna give you one whatever it was. For those of you who don't believe in corporal punishment, you would have been my favorite parent when I was about 10, all right? But on one of these days, my, 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 my father said to my brother Kevin, I'm not, we're not sure where Kelly was, he wasn't in trouble yet, but, but Kevin was and I was, and, and we're standing in, that, in the place designated in our family for the, for the distribution of discipline. And as we're there, my dad makes that statement. And of course, for us, we were already starting to cry because if you start crying early, you figure it's not gonna hurt as much and he's gonna might be softer. And, and my dad makes that statement, you know, this is, not, this is gonna hurt me more than it hurts you. I'm standing there going, okay, I'm just gonna take my brother. He just looks at my dad and says, yeah, dad, but not in the same place. You see, sometimes I think we forget how much God loves us and, and how much it grieves him when we turn our back on him. And so before we read about how God spoke to Noah and told him to build an ark and it had to be this size and this many dimensions and he had to get all of these animals and certain kinds of them and bring them into the, but before we deal with the reality that, that, that here, here's, Here's a man who is the only person on the face of the earth who is walking with God. And everybody else, everybody else is breaking God's heart. And this man has walked with God in such a way that as he walks with God, God's heart is turned toward him while his heart is broken by everyone else. And what, what happens is that that then in that context, God says to Noah, Noah, I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna protect you. Noah, I, I, I've had it with all the rest of the creation. I, I, th this creation has not turned out like I wanted it to turn out. I mean, did you hear it when I read? He said, I'm gonna wipe out not just all humanity, but all the, 
all the animals and anything that actually the, the phrase is that has the breath of life in them. You do remember, don't you, that life comes from God? It is God who breathed life into his creation. It is God who gives life to everything that's here. And when God says, I, I, this, this thing I've created, these people, these things that I've, I've made, they're, they're not turning out the way I had envisioned them because of the brokenness and the sin that's there now. And it's so evil that, that I'm, I'm going to get rid of it. But then there's this one guy. So when God says, Noah, you walk with me. So when I do this thing that breaks my heart, when I inflict this destruction on the face of the earth, because you've walked with me, I, you give me hope. Because, because you've walked with me, I, 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 I maintain hope that, that humanity can actually be salvaged, that, that the world can actually be redeemed, and, and I can do that. And, and so this brokenhearted God speaks to this man, and together they build a legacy, a legacy of faith that is so amazing that no matter what you try to do to the story, it all comes back to the reality that when you walk with God, God walks with you. But if you won't walk with God, God doesn't walk with you. He's there. He's waiting but like toddlers who are learning how to walk and express themselves, we say to God, no, I can do it myself, God. I can do it myself. And so centuries later, when the writer of the Hebrews is recounting the beginnings and the legacy of faith, and he clicks off the list, the creation happened by faith. Abel lived by faith. Enoch walked with God and was no more. And Noah, Noah by faith, responded to God. See, here's what's going on. Legacy makers are called to a future focus that is yet unseen. Because when God spoke to Noah and said, hey, Noah, look, I want you to build an ark. Noah was not a boat builder. We're not sure what Noah's actual profession was. He became, a, he became a boat builder. But when God said to him, God says, Noah, I want you to build an ark. Here are three. Do you ever wonder why there are so many instructions? I mean, God, God, God had to give him instructions because he didn't know what he was doing. He's, you know, Noah otherwise, I mean, he was a man. He would have tried it like most of you men do with all the things that you get. You throw the instructions down, try it first, then pick up the instructions. No, no. God had to give him instructions because Noah had never done this before. No one had ever done this before. There hadn't been an ark built where Noah lived. But God said, I'm going to use this vehicle. I'm going to use this opportunity to offer hope, to bring an opportunity. So here's what I need you to do, Noah. I need you to not focus on your past, to not focus on your present, to not feel all of that more than you feel the promise of the future. And the future's not yet seen. I mean, when Noah started building the ark, 
He had, he had no way of understanding. He was going to live in that thing for over a year, just a few days over a year. From the time they went into the ark, if you keep reading the story in Genesis 6, all the way through 7 and 8, and you read the story, you know that, that they lived, he and his wife, his three sons and their wives, the eight human beings, with all of those animals in that ark for over a year before they came out of it. I mean, you think your apartment's crowded. You, you, you think your house is a mess. Think about, think, think about the chores on the ark, okay? And, and God says to Noah, no, I need you to do this. And Noah couldn't do that if he was looking to his past. He couldn't do that if he was looking at what was around him in the present. The only way he could do that was to walk with God and have God say to him, this is what I want you to do in your life. This is, this is the future I have for you, and I need you to focus on that future and trust me with that future, even while you're living in this present. And there's a combination effect that goes on, because lots of people will tell you they've got a dream for your future. Lots of people will tell you about their dreams. Can I tell you something? There's a difference in a dreamer and a visionary, and Noah demonstrates the difference. Because visionaries are, leg are, 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 are legacy makers. Dreamers... Dreamers are just dreamers. Dreamers have dreams of things happening, but they, they don't make them happen. Visionaries. Visionaries are legacy makers because here's what they do. Not only do they have this future focus on what is yet to be seen, but instead, they actually begin to take action on that future focus while they're living their present life. They, they, they began to, to take action. They began to act on it. Noah picked up the hammer. Noah went and got the wood. Noah, Noah began to build the ark according to the instructions. Noah began to communicate with his wife. He began to communicate with his children. He began to do what God was asking him to do. Why? Because he walked with God and he trusted God with his future, but he also trusted that God was telling him, here's how your future will become a reality. See, some of us are waiting on the future to happen in our life. Some of us are waiting on the dream, the vision. Oh, I just want to do this. I want to do that. But we've never done anything to make it happen. One of the standard jokes in our house is that my wife occasionally will say, well, when I win the lottery, we're going to do this. And I'm like, sweetheart, we don't play the lottery. You can't win if we don't play. And for those of you who are getting worried, no, we still don't play the lottery. It's okay, all right? But, but I'm telling you, some of you want, to be a, you want to be a powerful woman of God. You want to be a powerful man of God. You learn all the right words. You listen to all the right songs. You read all the right books. But here's the deal. You're still not walking with God. You're still not taking action in the present to cultivate your future. And you don't know what your future is going to be. And so you wonder, what should I do? How should I? No, listen, walk with God. Start by, I don't know, reading his word. Start, start by spending time listening instead of telling him what you want. Some of you don't hear what God wants for your future because you're too busy telling him what you want for your future. Noah, Noah was so willing to walk with God. It has become his pattern in his life. Legacy makers, yes, they have a future vision of things that, have, that are unseen. And they're called to that. But, but here's the difference. They actually, legacy makers begin to act on that process. They begin to 
to build the ark of their life. I love the way the writer of the Hebrews describes it. He says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, in reverent fear, Noah constructed an ark for the saving of his household. For the saving of his household. The world, the world was going to be destroyed. But Yahweh, God, had spoken to him and said, hey, here's how your family will be saved. Some of you look around the world right now and you see the stuff that's going on and you feel the anxiety and the tension. And, and on this Father's Day, some of you are feeling like this is futile. I mean, every time I turn around, it's just not going. And every time I try, you're like the Apostle Paul in Romans when he says, the, the, the good that I want to do, I find myself not doing. And the evil that I, I, I declared I would never do, I, I end up finding myself in the midst of that. And, and what, what legacy makers do is legacy makers begin to take action in their present reality that causes their future focus to come in the clarity. It's that next step. It's not about, oh, I'm gonna do this and that. No, 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 listen. One step at a time is how the journey begins. When, uh, when my wife and I, some of you know this story, but we were married for seven years. Father's Day, Mother's Day, they're important to us in our family because for Becky and I, we were told we couldn't have children. And so we were serving in ministry. We were pastoring a church. She was running a children's ministry. I mean, we're loving on teenagers and, and college students and people of all ages. And, and, and we're just like, you know, we we're just, we're just love the church. One of my mentors, uh, James Earl Massey, he and his wife had five children, one a set of twins, four pregnancies that all ended with stillborn children. And in discussing with him what, how do you handle this pain? How do you handle this grief? He said to me, one of the options is you love the people of God. So that's what we're doing, right? We're just loving the people of God. In fact, we, we loved them so much that we spent a week in the middle of the woods in Tennessee at a camp, doing a youth camp, where Becky cooked with one, with one helper. She cooked every meal for 100 high school students, and I ran the camp along with some counselors. No air conditioning in the kitchen, none of that. At the end of the week, she's like, I'm feeling tired. I'm like, well, everybody would be tired. She's like, well, I, I feel different tired. I think I'm sick with something. Let's go to the doctor. So she goes to the doctor's appointment. I went with her because I'm like, if she's going, I'm going, all right? We're, we're in this together. And, and then what happens? The doctor walks out after the appointment. As he walks out and she's with him and she's crying, I'm sitting in the waiting room thinking my wife is going to die because she's been in there much longer than I anticipated. And when they walk out, he looks at me. She's weeping. She's crying. He, he looks at me and says, guess what? You're going to be a dad. I'm like, Great. I canceled my maternity insurance three months ago because <laughs> you said I couldn't be a dad. <laughs> Boy's been costing me money since before he was born is, is what I know. 
but, but what I also know is that we left the doctor's office, we went back to the parsonage where we were living. And yes, this does tell you my age. We picked up the landline phone to call our parents. But before we picked up the phone, the two of us stood together and we said, God, this child is obviously a gift from you. So right now we're giving this child's life back to you. Help us. We don't know how to do this. We don't know how to be a parent. We, we, we've been children. <laughs> we've been parented, but we don't know how to be a parent. But from that moment on, a couple of years later, when, when God blessed us again with our second son, same prayer. God, we got a couple of years in. We're still not real sure how we're doing this, but could you, one step at a time. And for those of you who have adult children like I do, you understand a couple of things. Number one, you understand that you never figure this out. It's always one step at a time, even when they're adults. The other thing you understand is, it's a whole lot of fun to watch your kids try to figure out what you tried to figure out. And they're usually better at it than we were, but let's not tell them that, okay? Legacy makers have a future focus on what is yet unseen, but they're willing to act. They're willing to, to take the steps. They're willing to do one at a time what it means to be able to see what would be just a dream without the action actually become a reality. Noah, in reverent fear, I love that phrase, in reverent fear, in reverence to God, in respect to the invitation, a man who walked with God so much that God would see him as the only opportunity to start fresh with a creation that had gone bad, he begins to act and build the ark. But when he does, it, it does something different in him. You see, he begins to do things that nobody else understands. I mean, Think about it. There were, no, there were no other arcs being built. There, there, were, there, were not, there were not other guys doing the same thing. No, no, he, he was doing something no one had ever seen done before. And the longer he did it and the more he fo followed in the footsteps that God was asking him to follow, the more he did that, the more his life looked different than everybody else's life. And, 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 and when that happens, what happens is a legacy maker who's actively pursuing the future, begins to live with an alternative worldview, a worldview that's unlike the rest of the world because the destination is different. The motivation is different. I mean, the destination is, is to be the people God created us to be. The, the motivation is to walk with God and discover that on the journey. And when you do that, when you do that, then suddenly you're not walking the same path everybody else is walking. And and you begin to see the world differently. That's never more apparent than when you follow Jesus all the way with your life. I love the, I love the passage in John chapter 19, the interchange between Jesus, who's been arrested on trumped up false charges, been taken before all the Jewish authorities, and, and now they've brought him before Pilate, the Roman authority. And when Jesus walks in, Pilate looks at him and says, so you're the king of the Jews. And Jesus goes, I didn't say that. Somebody tell you that? 
And then he says these amazing words. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my disciples would have already taken up the sword and my followers would have come and they would have rescued me. And No, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm, my kingdom is not of this world. But all of those who follow truth, I've come for those who follow truth. To which Pilate makes the answer that people have been making ever since. Truth? What is truth? You see, Pilate had one worldview. It was based on power and politics and, and partisanship and, and, and how, to, how to inflict pain and how to oppress people and how to do that. That, that was his. But Jesus, Jesus had a whole different worldview. His alternative worldview was one that was based in love and grace and mercy and truth and justice, a real truth, not a trumped-up truth, a real truth that, that comes not just from what we think but from the eternal truth. See, truth is not subjective. We live in a culture that says your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and you're okay and I'm okay and the reality is none of us are okay because truth is Jesus. Jesus had told his disciples before he met with Pilate when they asked him where he was going and what the way was and how were they gonna get there if he didn't tell them what they had to do and, and Jesus looks at him and says, look, I am the way I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's an alternative worldview. You want to be who you were created to be? You want to walk with God? Then you've got to understand, legacy makers are people who focus on the future that's not yet seen, act in the present reality on what they see in the future, and then live with an alternative worldview that is based in Jesus Christ not the power politics of our day, not the economic oppression of our day, but instead this, this walking in step with Jesus, one step at a time. It's no wonder that God chooses to be known to us as Father and Son and Spirit to show us that that there is this relational connection. And that as relationally connected people, we then follow to the future that we don't yet see. And when we do, when we do, it, it quite honestly sets us apart from the world. The way the writer of the Hebrews says it is this, by this alternative worldview, Noah condemned the world. Now that, 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 world, that word condemned has a whole lot of baggage for us. It's not that, that Noah stood on the deck of the ark and preached at people. It's not that Noah mocked people as they were dying in the flood. No, 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 no. It's not that kind of condemnation. That's out of the pit of hell. That's, that, that's the kind of stuff that, that divides people and hurts people. No, no. It's the kind of, kind of statement about what is good versus what is wrong. And done in such a loving fashion done with, with the kind of emotions you learn from a God whose heart is broken by the sin of his people. Because remember, that's where this story started. This story started with a God who created everything, then looked at what he created, and what he had created had rebelled against him, and therefore it broke his heart. It grieved him to his heart. 
If you don't have grief, when you share to people that their choices are leading them to destruction, then you shouldn't be sharing it. Because it should break your heart that any human being would spend eternity separated from God. Legacy makers. Legacy makers are people who live this alternative worldview to such a degree that by their very lives, they offer people hope that their life could be better. Because legacy makers allow the invisible to become visible in their life. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor? Well, what the writer says is, Noah became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. The, the faith he had in the future that was yet unseen, the actions that he took because of his walking with God, those actions, they created in him this lifestyle. They created in him this, this worldview. They, they created in him this, this sense that, that how he lived would be so different because of, because of who he was walking with. That, that what was invisible became visible. In Matthew's gospel, he tells us a similar story. When Jesus is talking to people about the last days, in Matthew 25, many of you know the story. It's a very, very well-known story. One in which Jesus says that on the last days there, there will be a gathering together of everybody who's ever lived. And people will be divided into two groups, one on his right hand, one on his left hand. And to the people on his right hand, he's going to look at them and say, hey, come into, come into a relationship with me that's going to last forever. Because you are my people. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was in prison, you visited me. When, when, when I was in pain, you, you, you brought healing to me. When, 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 I, when I was naked, you clothed me. And they'll look at him and say, hey, God, when, when did we ever do that to you? And he'll say, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And then he'll turn to the people on his left, and he'll look at them, and he'll say, depart from me for for I never knew you. And they'll say, what do you mean you didn't, you didn't know us? We, we, we worshiped in the temple. We, we sang your praises. We raised our hands. We, we said all the right words. We, we did all the right things. We followed the commandments. What do you mean you didn't know us? Jesus will look at them and say, listen, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was naked, you didn't clothe me. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me anything to drink. When I was in prison, you never came to visit me. Depart from me. I never knew you. You see, legacy makers who have a future focus on what's not yet seen. Legacy makers. People, people who are, are willing to act on that future focus. To create a a life that is based in an alternative worldview to the worldview of those who don't know God. Legacy makers 
make the invisible visible to the people they pass on the journey because of their love and their grace, their mercy and their truth and their justice, not from themselves, but from when the God with whom they walk. This morning, whether you're with us on campus or online, whether you're on the main floor or in the balcony, I just simply want to invite you to be a legacy maker, to be a person. Whether you're a father today, whether you're a parent today, whether you're male or female, whether you're single, your situation doesn't change the reality that the God who created everything is inviting you to walk with him. This morning, I invite you to worship him with us. And I invite you to take one step and then the next step. And it all starts with saying to God, God, I'm here. God, I trust you. So as we worship today, if you want to do that, I invite you to join me on this journey. Would you stand with me if you're on campus? Let's worship together.
my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. Oh, come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. Would you pray with me? Abba, Papa, Heavenly Father, forgive us for the times when we grieve your heart by our rebellion. Forgive us for the times when in our, in our stubbornness and our self-will, we latch on to our dreams instead of yours. Be to us the God you were to Noah, a God who invites us to walk with you. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to let us know how much you love us. Thank you for, for sending your one and only spirit, your Holy Spirit, to, to dwell inside of us, to guide us, to to comfort us, to, to convict us, to, to teach us how to walk this path with you. And today, today we ask in that same name of Jesus, through the power of that same spirit, 
that you would take our lives and allow us to be connected to you, to live the way you created us to live. For it's in the strong name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.